Welcome to the Sheep Connect New South Wales podcast. It's time for you. A podcast produced for the sheep industry by Sheep Connect New South Wales. Hi, my name is Fiona MacArthur, a network coordinator for Sheep Connect New South Wales. The Sheep Extension Network in New South Wales, which is funded by Australian Wool Innovation. Sheep Connect New South Wales has a membership of over 4,000 and our main aim is to keep you and your sheep business up to date on information about all things sheep. We are pleased to have you join us this season for our latest edition of It's Time For You. With over 70,000 listens on our podcast, we thank you for joining us. episode of It's Time For You, I'm joined by Dr. Tim Goll to discuss the correct way to vaccinate sheep and also some common sheep diseases that are causing producers a little bit of angst this year. Tim's a veterinarian with 14 years experience with sheep in New South Wales, Queensland and the UK and he now resides in Dubbo and is the principal of a production and consulting firm focusing on sheep and aptly named For Flock's Sake. Welcome, Tim, and thanks for joining me on It's Time For You. Hey, g'day, Fiona. Uh, Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Tim, let's talk all about vaccines to start us off. And it's so important to vaccinate correctly, and it's something we all get a little bit complacent with. So I want you to take us through today the real reason why we should be concentrating on it. Um, Let's start first with what is a vaccine? Yeah. Great, Fiona. So revision is basically vaccines, how I look at it, are just training camps for the body. So we're trying to give the body a bit of a training session, say, hey, this is how you, you know, this is the bug you're going to be seeing, this is how you beat it in the real world. Um, In my mind, there's really two parts to vaccines. One is the antigen, which is the kind of the bug. Now that can be, you know, a live, live round, I suppose, to describe it, or, uh, you know, a killed, um, killed, uh, antigen or part of a, a bacteria or virus and the second part is is what we call an adjuvant so and the adjuvant is like a carrier mo- molecule and it's really role is to I suppose in, encourage the body to you know have a look at this um, vaccine and, and develop a really strong immune response why that's so important to know is that with our sheep vaccines um, things like the scabby mouth uh, vaccine is a live vaccine, which is why we have to put it under the armpit. Um, but also um, some of our vaccines have got a mineral carrier molecule. So that would be, you know, the Gadare, the um, Ovignone's vaccine and the Campy Bactivactine uh, Campovac. So it really kind of dictates on um, how we manage those vaccines, but also the importance of putting them in the right spot. Yeah, they can be a bit nasty, those ones. Um, Tim, in a lot of the vaccines, and I think there might only be one that's the exception to it that I know of, it's really important that you give more than just one dose. Why is this so? Uh, great, great one, Fiona. My um, gag I love about this one is, you know, vaccines are a bit like, you know, pluggers and you're wearing bare feet. You know, finding one plugger, uh, it's probably better than none, but it's not the same as wearing two. Um, now, when we vaccinate our animals and same principles apply for humans really as well is the first dose is basically called the primer and that kind of gives the body a bit of a hole hold on what's going on here but realistically we don't get a massive vaccine response and 
by that I mean we don't get a massive protection response um, until we give the second dose as a booster. So when we think about that in our sheep production systems, it's basically the primer is what we give at landmarking and the booster is what we give at um, weaning. And it's really that booster that gives that massive immune response um, to the vaccine. Because remember, vaccinating is just like really an insurance policy against losses against a certain disease. So if we're not really getting that second booster, we're not really getting a whole uh, big response, which is why I reckon it's kind of a, bit, a little bit like, you know, finding pluggers. If you're one plugger, probably just not really cutting it, is it really? Um, now, remember, um, just as we've probably seen in the, in, in the globe, um, we need that annual booster. Um, to really keep that, um, I suppose, immunity um, at a high level. Because the annual booster um, gives, typically would give that to our ewes before they lamb, they actually give some of that immunity, some of that insurance policy to the lambs when they're born through the colostrum. And that gives them maternal antibodies that protects them typically up until lamb marking, which is really important for things like pulpy kidney, these vaccines used to cause a lot of losses, you know, from four to six weeks of age. Tim, so if there's not much point in giving just one shot. You need the two to get immunity. Is this something that's actually happening across industry? Are we really good at it? Do most of us follow those guidelines and give out two vaccinations? Now, this is probably one of those things that um, why um, conducting surveys are so important and why um, as producers being involved in surveys is so important because from what we understand from um, recent surveys is actually no, we don't really as a, as I suppose uh, in industry do this super well with only 49% um, of all um, respondents in, in recent surveys um, are saying that they vaccinated at all stages. So that's, you know, landmarking, weaning and an annual booster. So that's only half. So 21% of those 1200 respondents um, did cover their um, lambs for their first year. So that's marking weaning. But remember, if we don't do the uh, annual booster, then that immunity really just wanes. Now, where it gets really interesting is that 15% of those um, producers that were surveyed only vaccinated at marking. And like I said before, only one vaccine is kind of like only wearing one thong. It's not really doing a whole lot. And then we've got 6% produ uh, of producers who are not vaccinating at all. So we've got diseases that are really common, super high prevalence, like pulpy kidney, um, that'll occur anywhere we have sheep, um, is that we've got a whole group of producers who would be, who would be I suspect, um, and potentially suffering uh, high level losses that are completely uh, preventable to a high level. Yeah, they're not great stats, are they, Tim? Well, let's hope we can turn some of that around. Um, so we've looked at the reason why it's so important to vaccine. Let's turn now to where's the best place to give it. And I know that might be dependent on what type of vaccine we're giving, but in your mind, where's the best place to actually give the injection? Yeah, great. And and you're really right, Fiona, because there's, uh, there's only one exception to what I'm um, gonna talk about now. Now, the best spot to vaccinate um, uh, uh, um, our sheep is that on the side of the neck down from the ear so typically and we want it to go under the skin why that spot on the side of the neck so not un, not behind the ear but a further down um, why that spot is so important is there's a couple of reasons one um, we want to put it under the skin here um, because one there's heaps of skin particularly in our merinos um, but also vaccines um, do cause immune responses and they can cause reactions 
and they can damage the muscle um, and also um, sometimes can cause some abscessation or, or um, damage there. Now on the neck, um, that's a really um, low value cut compared to if you were vaccinating in the tail fold where you could put the whole rump at risk if there gets a, an abscess in there. Because remember on the kill floor, um, if they have you know inflammation or abscesses, they've got to cut that out and remove it from um, the chain for human consumption. So if you've got a really big um, inflammation event there, a big fibrous reaction inside the muscle, that's all going to get cut out. Um, and so that's a lot of unnecessary loss um, to you know uh, us producers. So under the skin, along the side of the neck is the best spot to go because really from maybe hormones for AI programs, nothing else should go um, in the muscle, all under the skin. So on that side there is the is the right spot. The exception to the rule is the scabby guard, the scabby mouth vaccine, because that's a live vaccine. So we wanted to keep it as further away from the mouth as possible because it can actually cause disease. And so under the armpit is where we put there. So it's nice, it's away from all the mouths and then they can get a really good immune response there and go through the body that way. Tim, you mentioned that some producers um, do like to inject around the table tail, sorry, and that causes issues with the cut of meat, which is our expensive cut around the rump. What other areas do you find that producers in, inject in, and why is it so bad to do it in those areas? Yeah, great, Fiona. So it's kind of like where not to inject, um, and I think the four areas where I see producers. Um, or, or they tell me they've been injecting um, is, you know, number one in the flank. Um, and I know it's super easy to do it there, but really where you're putting it there, you're, the, the skin is quite thin and you're either going into the side of the, um, the kind of the flank muscles there, again, causing inflammation, or you'll go straight into the abdomen. And we just won't get a really good res response there or a really variable response. So we're kind of like not getting the best return on investment for our time and our money. The second one, like I said before, is right behind the ear. Um, and why that's not a really good spot is because there's all these important structures below the ear. So we've got salivary glands, we've got lymph nodes, we've got the um, little vertebrae that are responsible for the neck. So if we get a really big um, inflammatory response there, especially with things like Gadare and Campivax, um, then we can get you know staggers, we can get head tilts and things like that. The third place is, is around the mouth. Um, and, you know, I think of like when I've had like a tetanus boost or something like that and you get a really sore arm, imagine if that was your mouth. Now, you know, any time a sheep aren't eating, particularly a young sheep, they're not putting on weight. So we're causing ourselves a production loss by putting it there. And the fourth one, like you said, Fiona, is, is the rump, you know, around that tail fold. And again, you know, if we have an inflammatory um, vaccines or we do get some abscessation, then on the kill chain, they've got to take that away from human consumption. So we're putting, you know, some of our income at jeopardy, but also um, putting injections in the muscle, um, you know, as we know with our arms um, that, you know, it's really sore and it's really suboptimal for our, um, our patients. Yeah, and that's an interesting point you make because we we do get our vaccines in our muscles as humans and that's because unlike sheep, we don't have you know, a subcutaneous or under the skin layer quite as clearly as sheep. It's quite a big layer, is it not in sheep? Oh, exactly. Think about um, when you've ever had that, you know, that pup, that young dog that you're trying to train as being a bit of a bit of a muppet and you pick it up and you scruff it. That whole tent of skin, that kind of scruff, all underneath there is a subcutaneous layer. But humans, we don't have that at all. So pretty much all our injections go straight into the muscle and we know how much that hurts. Um, 
where animals are a little bit lucky in that regard. They've got this whole nother bigger area called the subcutaneous area, which is where we should be putting all our vaccines because that's an area that um, if it gets inflamed, super easy and quick to take off on the kill chain. So it doesn't really affect us economically, but can get um, really good um, uh, vaccine responses. Thanks, Tim. Well, we've done wider vaccine. Where's the best spot to vaccine? Let's move on to exactly how to do it. And the contentious issue that's always around industry is needle length. What needle size, in your opinion, should we use and why is it important? Uh, and this is a really big one because it's such a simple thing um, to get right. I've always got in my mind, you know, there's so many things in the, in the sheep game we can't control the sun we can and we should be definitely controlling the ones we can vaccine technique and needle length super easy to do so basically like i said before the only um things we ever inject into our animals that really need to go into the muscle are antibiotics and hormones for um repro programs anything else goes under the skin that can be the vaccines can be injectable pain relief at landmarking um, the long acting um, moxidectin injections so because of that the only needle we need to really think about is a, a quarter inch 18 gauge needle um, and the whole reason that is is because using a quarter inch needle um, we really don't get the chance to put it into the muscle because it's too short it's long enough to um, get through the skin um, but not long enough to get in the muscle. Now, typically I see um, half inch needles getting used around the place. Now, a half inch needle is easily long enough to go into the muscle. And most times you use it, some of it will go in the muscle. Again, causing unnecessary inflammation and potentially carcass damage. Um, the other thing also when we're doing that, um, when I'm doing a vaccination, is putting it in as at a 45 degree angle. So that's kind of getting the gun and you don't need your second hand. You should be able to do it one-handed and you push into the skin, creating a little bit of a tent and inject it there. And again, a quarter inch needle puts it in exactly the right spot. Um, at 45 degrees, if you've got use, say you've got a lot of condition or maybe a lot of wool, the 90 degree angle might be a little bit better. But as a general rule, um, all vaccines, quarter inch needle um, and at a 45 degree angle is uh, the way to go to get the win. Uh, Tim, how often, I hear this question come up all the time in industry, how often should we change the needles over when we're doing a big vaccination day? Yeah, great. Um, I always think, like, basically the answer is as much as possible. So um, at a very bare minimum, every time you have a break in play, that's a great time to change the needle. Um, if you've got a burr on the needle, great time to change the needle. If the needle's dirty or been dropped, you know, dropped in some muck, again, great time. If you can't clean it properly, change the needle. Um, but if you wanted to put a number on it, I'd say, you know, 150 is a really good one. But typically, I think just keep, make sure that you set it in a program and go, okay, at a bare minimum, you know, to your landmarking team, if you're not doing it yourself is, hey guys and girls, every time you guys pull up, change the needle. And that way we kind of keep it nice and clean. And then we reduce the chance of getting um, uh, unnecessary inflammation and infection in our vaccine sites. Yeah, it's a really good point, Tim. And one of the other um, ways of protecting the needle I, it would be to use one of the vaccination guns that has the protected cage over the top. That's exactly right. So there's a whole uh, a group of um, vaccine guns that have actually got kind of a little bit of a shroud. Now, the Gadare vaccine gun is a really good example of that. So basically what it means is that unless you depress the trigger, you can't push the shroud back. Now, the shroud, hot, like, covers 
Um, now, that's for the Gadir vaccine, and you should use, be using it for a Campivax vaccine as well. But you can actually get the same gun um, for all our vaccines. And what it means is that you don't have that, you know, we've all seen that, um, you know, the vaccinator gun kind of hanging hanging loose um, there. It means that needle stays protected and then you can use it only when you're pushing it in uh, onto the skin. And I really encourage everyone to get that because, you know, self-injecting with any of the mineral-based vaccines, so Campivacadere, is a straight trip to your doctor. And if you've done a real good job of it, like you've you know got yourself in your thigh, you might be going under the knife because that mineral stuff really creates a quite a nasty necrotic reaction. Um, but you know, six in one vaccines, um, we've all probably done it. They're not great either. So that's why I think, hey, if there's something we can control in our environment, make it a bit safer for ourselves and better for animals, uh, we should just be uh, getting on top of that straight up. Yeah, absolutely. Good point. Um, reactions to vaccinations do occur. Why do, what would they look like on sheep? Yeah, um, Fiona, they do occur. Um, basically, um, what they are is again, it's an immune reaction really firing up. And so you generally get, you know, either a little abscess or um, forming, or you might even get, um, you know, a real kind of a fibrotic lesion. So generally it's just a big lump. Um, typically they, they don't go away. Um, certainly with the mineral-based ones, they won't. Um, so at their best, what they're kind of telling us is that, hey, the, the body really reacted to something and it's learned that lesson really, really well. Um, at their worst, um, they can turn into these little bit of infections. Um, typically for me, if they stay enclosed, I don't worry about them. Um, but if they uh, rupture and some pus comes out, then the old saying, you know, solution to pollution is dilution. So you're better off um, just, you know, cleaning that up. But also think about, you know, giving them antibiotics if it's really a really bad um, infection, antibiotics, inflammatories, and maybe consider some, you know, fly treatment as well. Yeah, okay, great advice. Um, so when and what should we be vaccinating for? Is it the same for every farmer across the state or does it change depending on where we are? Oh, this is a really great one, um, Fiona, because every operation is so different. And I think I think as industry, it's so easy to go, oh, we'll just give these blanket recommendations. But so many, uh, everyone's, um, I suppose, um, vaccine regime will depend on what kind of operation they have. Um, are they trading, are they not trading, where they are, um, the prevalence of diseases that they might be facing, the cost of those diseases, the class of animal, and of course, our, our attitude to risk. You know, like if you, um, like I said before, vaccinating is like an insurance policy against loss. If you have a, you know, low, low tolerance of risk and say, I don't want risk, then you would vaccinate for a lot of diseases. But, you know, imagine if I'm trading sheep and I live out at Burke, say, you know, maybe my Yoni's disease risk is actually not that high. Um, however, if I'm maybe somewhere, you know, further south of Dubbo, then, you know, Yoni's disease risk is actually a big risk to me. So I should be really trying to identify that. So uh, long, long story short, Fiona, um, I think every situation is a little bit different. That's why I reckon it's super important um, as sheep producers to get a team of advisors around them who can who can come in and look at their individual operation and go, hey, this is the best program for you because these are the biggest risks facing your operation. Yeah, that's really good advice. Let's just finish the podcast off, um, Tim, by 
we, we spoke in a webinar recently together about a lot of common diseases that we obviously vaccinate for, or the clostridials, and we went through all of that. But I'd like to just focus, and sorry everyone, you can get that copy of that webinar from our website, shipconnectnewsouthwales.com.au. But I'd like to finish off with just a couple of diseases that you're seeing as you travel around the state at the moment, Tim. Yeah, um, so a couple of ones kind of getting through at the moment that I see a lot of, um, and I would jokingly say this, you know, vitamin F deficiencies, you know, vitamin food deficiencies. I think of a lot of producers, um, and I think uh, on, a, on a natural level, we see this big body of summer feed there and we think, oh, we've got tons of tucker. But actually what, what I see a lot of is that even though there's a lot of body of feed there, um, we know that our tropical pastures and our summer grasses, they come off the boil so much quicker than our temperate. So they don't offer the same kind of bang for buck. Um, and I think there's a lot, a lot of big standing feed and actually not offering us a whole lot. So my kind of rule is, you know, if it's not green, it doesn't count for production. Um, but also if it's a tropical summer pasture, um, and it's not in a you know early uh, growing phase, then it probably doesn't offer us a lot. So probably one thing I see is that maybe right at this stage, there's a few ewes who are actually a lower body condition score than you might have expected. Other things that you know we're seeing around at the moment, these prolonged wet periods and in various areas of the state, um, foot abscesses, really really common. Um, you know you've got to get on the uh, on the attack with those. And basically how I think about that is that means foot trimming. Um, foot bathing every time they come into the yards, um, antibiotics and anti-inflammatories for those severely affected, but also kind of planning those events, you know, are twin bearing used for foot abscess, much more high risk because they've got a lot more weight. Um, and also the consequences of foot abscesses are much greater in there. So be super careful of yarding our twinners um, and trying to do a lot with them um, because basically a foot abscess happens um, the more we put pressure on those animals and ask them to do stuff with their feet when they can't deliberately place their feet, the more chance we all have of um, getting dramas, which is kind of why yarding them in wet periods, um, you know, kind of encourages that. So foot abscesses and then, you know, pink eye, I think that's getting around a lot at the moment as well. Um, and I suppose the, the big one that, you know, we've talked a lot about is that, you know, having a look at if we're getting bad scanning results, I think then, you know, getting a vet in to kind of go through that and try and work our way through, well, what are the potential causes? Because some of the causes are certainly um, disease focused um, and there are some, especially Campylobacter, we can vaccinate against that and we can do diagnostics for it. Um, but also some of the poor scanning results, I think have got a much bigger uh, management influence than we think like, I've seen a lot of poor scanning results where after the investigation, actually they had quite significantly high worm burdens. And I think that's really contributing to lacklustre scanning results. So there's some, a couple of things kind of flutter around, but you know, common things occur commonly, Fiona, um, pulpy kidney, there's that, you know, we're seeing cases of that um, as the feed changes and our clover content increases. So they're, you know, the oldies but goodies, they're always around, which is why Coming back to that control while you can control your clostridials and things like cheesy gland, they're super common um, and it's not that expensive compared to the price of the animal just to get in, vaccinate and take that risk off the table for you. Yeah, good message there. And look, Tim, you are the king of analogies. So just before I let you go, <laughs> I've got a new one for you for your vitamin uh, F see there and it's yep. starving in the midst of plenty and it used to be a great saying from one of my old nutritional lecturers at uni yeah yeah and it's something it's so easy to think that we're getting 
awesome feed out of our pastures. But, um, you know, how do we know for sure? Body conditioning scoring use. The U, the use will tell us, and that's a real super easy skill. And if you're not really good at it, um, we haven't had much exposure to it. Um, get onto a lifetime U management course because they, you know, it's probably the central skill to get out of that. And once you do that, then every time you get your use in the yard, you can feel them, and the use tell you exactly what's happening out in the paddock. Oh, absolutely. Great take-home message from any podcast or webinar we've ever done. I think it relates to so many different topics. Get your hands on your use and you're good to go. No, definitely. Great. Thanks for having me, Fiona. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of It's Time For You, the Sheep Connect New South Wales podcast. If you haven't done so already, rate and review us on iTunes. We'd appreciate it if you could share our podcast within your networks. And if you haven't done so already, subscribe to the Australian Wool Innovation Podcast, The Yarn. We'd love you to stay in contact with Sheep Connect New South Wales, and you can do this in a number of ways. Join our network by visiting www.sheepconnectnewsouthwales.com.au and you can find us at Sheep Connect New South Wales on Facebook and Twitter. We look forward to seeing you at our workshops and events during the year. Thank you again for joining us today. Bye for now.